Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, Counterspin, Conceptual Guerrilla Radio, The Daily Show, and This American Life. Now he's going to be talking to a caller who's in New York. Okay, the first the caller is going to speak about some interaction he had with someone, by the way, that they've decided is a lesbian in New York, but we have no idea if she actually is or not. And then Savage tells uh, the caller what the woman in New York actually is. Let's listen in. Um, I just wanted to tell you a really funny story. I'm driving in Manhattan um, in Midtown, and obviously, you know, I'm at the front of the light. There's people crossing in front of me, behind me, just now, uh, maybe like 20 minutes ago. Right. I'm listening to you with the window open. This mean-faced, clipped-haired liberal type, you know, the type you always talk yeah. about. Yeah. She comes up by my window, and she goes, you're listening to hate speech. Why are you listening to that? And I go, wow, you sound pretty angry. And she goes, uh, you're listening to hate speech. Look at you, listening to a hate monger. And then, like, there was other traffic coming. She ended up walking away, and I, I rolled down the window, and I go, you're a loser. And she just walked away and gave me this smug look. But it was it was. Well, what does, that tell, what does that tell you about the loving, kind lesbian who just assaulted you in your car? She's a the type that stuffed ovens in Hitler's concentration camps. Whenever I hear anyone preaching to me about how compassionate they are, I reach for my Glock. That's all I can tell you. They can all drop dead. They're not coming to get me. I'm coming to get them. I'm not going to let them steamroll me into being who, I, who they want me to be. They can all go stuff a banana into their pipe. I'm sick of them trying to tell me what to think and what to do. They're the hate mongers. They're the Nazis, the crypto-fascists walking around. you got to stop them where they are and say, hey, lady, get out of my face. It's a free country. Give her a Bronx cheer, Brad. Tell her she has no right getting in your face. If she doesn't get away from there, you call the police that she's assaulting you. You know, you have civil rights, too. That. That's all. See, I got mad now. I, I shouldn't have gotten mad. I mean, I know who they are. They're the, the, they're the ones that Hitler used to stuff ovens with human beings in the concentration camps. Only now they pose as compassionate, wonderful human beings. They don't fool me for one minute. Just look at old daguerreotypes of the, excuse me, old black and white photos of the period. There is so much to say about that clip. All right, let's get started. Number one, I'm not, they're not coming to get me, I'm coming to get them. Oh, I got mad there. I shouldn't have gotten mad. They're not coming to get me. I'm coming to get them. I got mad there. I shouldn't have done that. Mommy told me not to do that. I mean, you listen to the dude, and you think, no, 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 this guy's, this guy's insane. Right? I mean, he's really, there's something's loose up there. You read his life story, you see what happened to him. But, I mean, in the middle of the clip, he loses it, and then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my therapist told me not to get mad like that. And then he goes back to getting mad anyway, and he says, yeah, these lesbians, they're the ones that stuffed the ovens in the Nazi concentration No, they're the ones that were killed in the Nazi concentration camps. I mean, they take everything and they flip it, and they say, oh, these Nazis, they want to kill you. And when I see them, I want to grab my Glock. Well, wait a minute, didn't you just say that you want to kill them? I mean, everything is projection, everything. They're the Nazis. They're the ones who want to kill you, as he's telling you about how he wants to kill her. And then, of course, they're the gay ones, not Michael Savage. Wait till we tell you what Michael Savage's secret thoughts are, okay? And always with the made-up words, crypto-fascist. Ah, they're crypto-fascist. And then he gets all like, oh, you know what? You should call the police on her. She assaulted you. She actually talked to you and 
trying to change your mind. Call the police. <laughs> All right, I guess so. I guess if you're, if that's how you roll. And then finally, I'd like to stuff a banana up their pipe. Um, you're not paying much attention. They're lesbians. They're not really interested in that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's go to clip number two on uh, our old friend Michael Savage. I'm not going to put my wife in a hijab, and I'm not going to put my daughter in a burqa, and I'm not getting on my old fours and braying in Mecca, and you could drop dead if you don't like it. You can shove it up your pipe. I don't want to hear any more about Islam. I don't want to hear one more word about Islam. Take your religion and shove it up your behind. I'm sick of you. <laughs> no, I mean, he's crazy. The, the, at some point, he lost his mind. And he is obsessed with shoving things up people's behinds. Every clip has a shove a banana, shove a pipe, shove something, shove me, in, something up your behind, right? And, I mean, listen to him. <laughs> not going to listen to you. Okay, all right, okay, big guy, all right. Uh, but he's not done by damn sight. JR, let's kill them all. Let's hear it. We're going to die as a nation. I swear to God, that's what people are saying to me. And these are intelligent people, wealthy people. Oh, yeah. They are very depressed by the weakness that America is showing uh, to these psychotics in the Muslim world. They say, oh, there's a billion of them. I said, so kill 100 million of them. Then there'll be 900 million of them. I mean, would you rather die? Would you rather us die than them? I mean, what is it going to take for your people to wake up? Would you rather we disappear and we die, or would you rather they disappear and they die? Because you're going to have to make that choice sooner rather than later. All right, so here's the man who just called liberals Nazis. And he just said, let's kill 100 million people. Let's kill 100 million people. Because he's the kind of compassionate one, and the liberals are the Nazis. Right? And... I mean, he says it without, you know, any hint of, well, well, that what I'm saying might be the most crazy thing you've ever heard. What I'm saying is genocidal. Nothing. It's us or them. They're going to kill us all. Really? How are they going to kill you, Michael? Are there Muslims beating down your door and with scimitars and they're about to kill you and your wife? But at the last second you press, like, uh, uh, I don't know how many nukes would it take? Would it take 100, 200 nukes to kill 100 million Muslims? They were about to come in when you press the button and you killed 100. They're nowhere near you, Michael. Mr. Wiener, okay? They're nowhere near your tailpipe. Just calm down. Step back. And, he's, and of course, as always, the projection. Psychotics. They're psychotics. Really? Have you ever listened to yourself, Michael Wiener? When we come back, I'm going to explain how Michael Wiener turned into Michael Savage. And you're actually going to feel sorry for this guy. Young Auf diesen Sieg am roten Platz steht Kopf. 
The ACLU defends the Nazis' right to burn down ACLU headquarters. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. American Civil Liberties Union officials announced today that the organization will go to court to defend a neo-Nazi group's right to burn down their headquarters. ACLU President Nadine Strassen. If we take away these Nazis' right to burn down our headquarters, we take away everyone's right to burn down our headquarters. Making the case more controversial is the neo-Nazis' demand that the ACLU's entire staff be in the building at the time of the blaze. because they knew that homosexuals could be blackmailed and seduced too easily. They were weak, in other words. That's the way it was seen by your father's generation or your grandfather's generation. Now, that's all been swept under the rug, and your brain has been washed so many times that you actually think that gay men are stronger than straight men because they're in touch with their feminine side. Young Turks, we're talking about Michael Savage, and you just heard Michael Wiener Savage. Michael Wiener is his real name. Uh, well, we're going to get to those uh, gay guys in a second. We'll see if Michael Savage is among them. He, here's the story of Michael Savage. We just played you some clips where he went off on lesbians and a uh, gay phony general who's in the you know, armed forces for 42 years. Every single clip, even if it was about Muslims or unrelated topics, he's trying to stuff something up somebody's behind. Right? Uh, it's literally in every clip we play of Michael Savage. And he says it all the time. So, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, when he was up for an MSNBC job, and he got it for a brief while, and then he made an ugly comment about gay people, and he was fired, because that's what he does. David Gilson uh, wrote a piece in Salon.com about Michael Savage's history. And I read it, and it's just the saddest thing you ever read in your life. First, he had a father who was tyrannical and disapproving, and little Michael Weiner was always trying to get his love, but his dad never showed it. And he lived under the oppression of his family. And then he was an enormous liberal. And he went, and he was a herbalist, and he went to Fiji in the South Pacific and tried to find native plants, uh, and he thought that was going to cure all the things that were wrong in the world and all the diseases. And he was, Michael Wiener was going to save the world and get the approval of his daddy. Except it didn't turn out that way. It turned out he was a loser. And every single university job that he applied for didn't get it. They're like, no, your work actually kind of sucks, so we're not really interested. And so he became embittered towards universities. They're so liberal, right? And then, but he wanted to still hang out with his liberal friends, right? Because he, he wants to save the world, and he's got the herbs, and he figured it out, and he's going to save everybody. And when he was in the South Pacific, he actually went skinny dipping with Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg is like one of the world's biggest liberals at the time, and he's a beatnik, and he... And he had a picture of him nude with Allen Ginsberg. And he'd bring it to the coffee shops in San Francisco and he'd be like, look, this is me and Allen nude. Look at us. We were naked together. And he was so proud and he'd show it to everybody. And he had some friends there. And eventually his friends realized, well, this guy's kind of crazy. 
he'd grab people in the streets and he'd be like, I'm going to be famous. I'm bigger than you. And they're like, okay, no, this guy's nuts. So eventually, of course, all his friends couldn't stand him anymore, and so they rejected him. So now he's rejected by the universities, by his friends, and by his own family. So he becomes angrier and angrier, and he begins to lose his mind. And then one day, he gets in a little studio, and he says, I'm not Michael Weiner anymore. I'm Michael Savage. And he goes out and says, oh, yeah, the liberals are the problem. The universities are the problem. The gays are the problem. Everyone who's always rejected me, they're the real problems. When we come back, I'm going to read you a quote about what he, what his actual gay feelings are. He wrote it down. That was a big mistake. We just. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I'm not what I appear to be. Of all the love I have won or have lost, there is one love I should never have. The Onion Radio News, an affable anti-Semite, thinks the Jews are doing a super job with the media. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Henry McCullers, a lifelong resident of Plano, Texas, and affable anti-Semite, praised the Jewish people today for doing a, quote, bang-up job running the media and show business. The 47-year-old sheet metal worker made his remarks over breakfast at Jesse's Diner. Well, this has been such a great year for movies, saying the new crop of fall TV shows looks like one of the best in years. Oh, yeah, and the cable news channels are doing a terrific job, too. McCullers added that despite the fact there is no coverage of the Jewish stranglehold on world finance, it's sort of understandable, considering, well, you know. on the website during the break on theyoungturks.com another clip from Michael Savage and every time you, I hear him now I think of his life story and I think about all those rejections he faced and how he got lonelier and lonelier and sadder and sadder angrier and angrier and by the way of course when he got rejected by uh, the universities who did he have to blame? He explained it. He said yeah the only reason I didn't get the job is because of two words because I'm a white male. Of course, it wasn't that he was an incompetent loser. It was that it was the minorities taking his jobs. Otherwise, of course he would have recognized the genius of Michael Weiner and his herbal therapies. You know what, by the way, one of his herbal therapies is? If you're addicted to drugs, coffee enemas. This guy was looking for a teaching job at Berkeley. Now that he, you know, the capital of liberals the ones that he makes fun of the most. Why? Because they reject him because he's a loser and an idiot. Coffee enemas? 
coffee in him. And you know what he says? He's very specific about it, as if like he's figured something out. He's like, but make sure that it's good quality coffee, not decaf or anything like that. Oh, okay, thank you, Dr. Weiner. We appreciate that. I'm really shocked that Berkeley didn't allow you to become dean. He, no, no, you know, at other places he applied to be a teacher. At Berkeley he applied to be a dean. <laughs> you poor, dumb son of a bitch. All right. So, uh, Salon did this great piece about his story, uh, and this is what reporters are for. They dig in and they find facts. So what did the reporter do? Uh, he actually found Michael Savage's basically autobiography. The reporter is David Gilson uh, of Salon. Michael Savage wrote a thinly uh, disguised autobiography called Vital Signs back in 1983. It was a collection of confessional stream of consciousness stories, as Gilson explains. It follows the exploits of Samuel Trueblood, that guy's so goofy, uh, who just happens to be a 40-ish New York Jew, an herbalist, and writer with a tumultuous personal life and a substantial assortment of inner demons. Gee, I wonder who that could be. I wonder. By the way, if you don't know, Michael Weiner is, of course, Jewish. He was in his 40s at the time, uh, struggled with his inner demons, was, of course, an herbalist, and wrote up to 18 books. So he fancied himself a writer. And you know who publishes books? His wife. And he'd go around saying, no, 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 these are really good books. No, you don't. they shouldn't be underestimated. My wife's a serious publisher. Oh, really? What else has she published? Let's not get into it. Okay, so he writes this basically about himself. It's the most obvious thing in the world. Every single thing is connected to something that actually happened in his life. So let's read from it and see what we find in it. In the book, True Blood describes his life as one long search for inner peace. He blames much of his discontent on his childhood beneath tyranny. That's in quotes. During which he was cowed by his bullying father. True Blood describes how his father mocked him with brutal jokes and chides, and quote-unquote gentle kidding. And here's one of the things that uh, Savage, I mean True Blood's father, would say to him. You're not a fag, are you, Sam? The little man would say each time the boy dared uh, wear a colorful shirt or flashy trousers. Gee, I wonder where Savage got his psychological problems. I mean, imagine a dad like that comes around and says to you, anytime you wear a colorful shirt, you're not a fag, are you? To his own son? Gee, I wonder where Savage got damaged. I can't, can't quite make it out. Una unable to shake his dead father's disapproving influence, the adult Samuel is tortured by his feelings of weakness and inadequacy. Quote, I am filled with fears, he admits, nearly all the time feeling I'm about to become totally insane. So back in 1983, in a semi-confessional book, Savage is talking about how he fears becoming completely insane. So, here's another quote. Inner voice screaming at me for years, first rational, then crazy, telling me to do mad things, every form of relief tried, painting, psychotherapy, running, diet, vitamins, etc., etc., almost uncontrollable now, impulses to stab children, strangers, wife, self with scissors. By the way, in case you think, oh, no, no, it's a book of fiction. The real savage did all these things, not the stabbing part, but he tried running, painting, psychotherapy, diet, vitamins. He tried every one of those things. This is a complete confessional book. The dude is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but in a dangerous kind of way. I mean, he's constantly having thoughts in his wife, in his wife, <laughs> nice Freudian slip there, in his life 
of stabbing his wife and others with scissors. Okay, the guy's crazy. All right, so here comes a part about, uh, about Michael Savage's favorite topic, homosexuality. Uh-oh. He admits to being drawn to, quote, masculine beauty. Mm. He confides that, quote, I choose to override my desires for men when they swell in me, wading out the passions like a storm below decks. Isn't it? Uh-oh. Michael Savage, totally gay. Okay, I'm not having a conversation. I'm not having a debate over it. A guy who writes this in pretty much a confessional book, clearly about himself, is co- completely and utterly gay. Now, I, look, he could be bisexual. Obviously, he tolerates sex with his wife. And maybe he's in the girls and guys. There's plenty of guys like that. In fact, I think a lot of people are bisexual. I think most people are bisexual. Michael Savage doesn't think so. He thinks he should stuff the somebody thing in the pipe. And, oh, God, I feel so good. I mean, uh, no, no, it's really bad. The gays are like Nazis. The gays are terrible. Let me tell you about my inner feelings that swell inside me. And I battle them below decks. My need for masculine beauty. Tell me more about it, Michael. Tell me more about it. Go over there and touch it. There's the anus. There is indeed, isn't it, Michael? Oh, come on, come on, come on. They're so obvious, all of these conservatives. They're so obvious. Every one of them we've covered. Alan Keyes, all these guys, Ted Haggard, even James Dobson, Every one of them write the same thing. We battle with the demons. And God, I want the men so bad. I want to snuggle up with them. You know, like those long pillows that they have? I want to just straddle them. And my desire for men overcomes me sometimes, but I battle it. I battle it. I won't give in to how much I love men and want to sleep with them every single night. I won't give in to it. Instead, I'll do a radio show that's completely homophobic and attacks gays every single day and claims they're Nazis, and talk about grabbing my Glock when I see one. Is it really your Glock you want to grab when you see a gay guy, Michael? Or perhaps is it something else? That's how I see it. Ah, is it? Is it really, Michael? So, you know, on the one hand, since he's such a hate monger, we got to rip him to shreds, as we just kind of (laughs) did. Okay. Uh, On the other hand, I look, since I'm not a hateful guy like Michael Savage is, and I don't have these inner demons that I struggle with. I kind of feel bad for the guy. I mean, I don't, like, if he wasn't on the radio and he was battling this stuff, oh, my God, I'd almost pay for his therapist. I'd be like, dude, come on, you're going you're gonna to make it, okay? You know what? Step one, sleep with a dude. You're going to feel so much better. Just let it out, okay? Just let it out. And as long as you get comfortable with it and you realize there's nothing wrong with it, you'll, be, oh, you'll feel free. You'll like the, all the inner demons, they'll fly away. Okay? And then, you know what? Your dad was full of crap. He was an idiot, and he was a petty uh, tyrant because he was a loser. He ran some stupid antique shop in Brooklyn or Queens or somewhere in New York, and he was never really successful. And he was such a loser that he took out his own feelings on his young son. So you don't need his approval. He couldn't even get his own approval. That's why he did what he did to you. 
I feel like I'm, talk, I'm trying to talk down like somebody who's holding hostages. Okay, Michael, it's going to be okay. All right, just get off the ledge and definitely get off the air because you're doing yourself and a lot of other people a lot of harm. What is amazing to me is that so many people take this guy seriously. I give credit to the mainstream media that are here. They don't take Michael Savage seriously, and no one should pretend they do. I mean, we all, you know, serious people realize Savage is literally on the verge of insanity. Slash has already crossed that threshold, right? As he admits himself, right? Uh, but there are listeners out there. Now, some radio uh, magazines claim that he has eight million listeners. Yeah, I know, and we have twenty million listeners. They don't have 8 million listeners. I don't know if any radio host in the country has 8 million listeners. I love the way they make up numbers. But anyway, he has a lot of listeners, though, no matter what the number is. Give him credit. He, they rank him as the third highest radio talk show host or that the, the people listen to the most. And I don't disbelieve that. And these people are sitting there going, yeah, yeah, Michael's right. Let's kill 100 million Muslims. And if we need to, let's kill 200 million. And the lesbians are the Nazis. They didn't suffer under the Nazis. They were the Nazis. Yeah, we should grab a clock when we see anyone we dislike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they take them seriously. And I got to tell you, if you're one of those people, wakey, wakey. The guy's nuts. The guy you support is nuts and totally gay. A man decides after 17 years that's what he goes there for. Talker Glenn Beck has been telling a personal story illustrating what he says is a particularly intense level of hatred on the left. The newly signed Fox News host says he was verbally assaulted while standing in line at a Wendy's restaurant. Beck says a truck driver called him, among other things, a racist bigot. Beck was shocked by this level of hate. Quote, I wanted to say, I think you have me mistaken for someone else, but I knew he knew who I was, and he just hated me for who I was. Wow, is this who we've become? Close quote. Beck concluded his appeal for civility by explaining that he wouldn't treat his enemies this way. Quote, I could stand in line with Michael Moore, and I wouldn't say that to him. I would say some things to Michael Moore, but it wouldn't be that. Is this who we've become? I believe there is a cauldron of hatred on both sides, but the left is quite frightening. Close quote. While Beck might not say such things to Michael Moore in person, he has said some things about him on his nationally syndicated radio show, namely, 
tweet that he wanted to kill him. Three years ago, Beck declared, quote, I'm thinking about killing Michael Moore, and I'm wondering if I could kill him myself or if I would need to hire somebody to do it. No, I think I could, close quote. And Beck wasn't exactly the picture of civility two years earlier when he told his listeners, quote, every night I get down on my knees and pray that Dennis Kucinich will burst into flames, close quote. Whatever the truth is about Beck's truck driver story, his own record of hatred is clear, including a prediction that in 10 years' time, Muslims and Arabs will be looking through a razor wire fence at the West. If Glenn Beck really wants to know who we've become, maybe he should start by listening to his own words. There is a house in New Orleans. Mr. Limbaugh, the joke here is you. And by the way, by the way, I am not going to let, because this is my job. Our job is to push back. Limbaugh had the stage to himself in 1993 and 1994 and 1995. He could tar and smear Bill Clinton with nobody nobody out there talking back. Well, now we're here and he's not going to he's not going to he's not going to lie and smear. He's not going to use innuendo against Barack Obama and get away with it. He's not going to do it. By the way, every day, every day, he suggests corruption on the part of Obama. And when, when, and, and when he can't back it up, I'm going to point it out. I'm going to be right here pointing it out. Every day that goes by, Limbaugh is going to lose a little bit more of the precious little credibility that he ever had. Every day I love you less and less. It's good to see that you've become obsessed. small glimpse of how the country will change in the Obama administration, but it provided a great deal of insight into how the cable news networks will change. We begin with CNN, which in recent months has given us such time-filling breakthroughs as Magic Touchscreen and Holographic Jessica Yellen and Anderson Cooper and the amazing Technicolor pie chart. But will there be a place for useless news-gathering technology in an Obama presidency? We've ordered an exterior shot of the mall 
from way up in space. We believe we are making history here in the sense of the fastest non-military turnaround of a satellite image. You know what? I actually think I saw that in the Guinness Book of Who Gives a <laughs> You know, man, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. To be fair, maybe the new technology will yield some valuable insights. Every one of those dark, dark little specks there, those are all people. It just looks like a mass of ants. So from up high, people look like ants. Coming up next on CNN, the horizon. When boats go past it, are they actually gone? <laughs> because they look like they're gone. What about MSNBC? Clearly a more liberal network. How would Obama's presence inspire them? Chris Matthews, your take. It sure as hell helps to be on MSNBC well, today. Right. Let's talk straight here. Right, this is the network that has opened its heart to change, to change and its possibilities. Let's be honest about it. These, these people watch this network out here. The number of West Africans you meet that watch this network is overwhelming. Yeah, this is the network of the 21st century MSNBC, and I think we're open to it, and that's why this crowd knows us. Did you ever know that we're our heroes? was a honeydew melon at first and then <laughs> finally there was fox they've spent the better part of eight years lovingly following every move george bush has made how would they handle the day when it was barack obama in the spotlight this is always a, a, a very emotional moment now there they are waving goodbye and you can see the helicopter now taking our 43rd president on his way to andrews air force you know, base. I wonder, now we're seeing the helicopter arriving at andrews air force base uh, former president bush now will be getting out he's going to go into one of the hangars and have a private uh, uh, meeting he's finished uh, his uh, meeting he is headed to the plane well, let's he, watch as they ascend uh, up the uh, up the stairs. Former President Bush, we're told, will arrive shortly in Midland, Texas for a welcome home ceremony there. We are now looking live in Midland, Texas at former President George W. Bush. Let it go. He's gone. If you love an administration, set it free. If it comes back, we're all moving to Canada. I'm gonna get myself a bluebird to remind me of you. He ain't gonna go on my arm on my back. No, his bird don't fly with the rest of the pack. There'll be no drinking Joe or Jack. And he won't fly away and forget to come back. No, he won't. spring of 2003, journalists and pundits declared a U.S. victory in Iraq. Now it's happening again. New York Times columnist and Fox News regular Bill Kristol told a debate audience on December 2nd, we've won the war. His Fox News colleague Fred Barnes told Fox viewers on November 26th, the war in Iraq has been won. And on November 11th, Fox's Charles Krauthammer told viewers the war was almost won. And on November 3rd, Fox's biggest star, Bill O'Reilly, declared, we won the war in Iraq 
Thank God. That was perhaps predictable, coming from avid war boosters and right-wingers, but the bug has spread to other less obviously hawkish news types, too. NPR's Mara Liasson declared on November 30th on Fox, where she moonlights and is presented as the balance to the right-wing white guys, that the war is ending. And on December 15th, she argued that George Bush wasn't given enough credit for successes, that as his final term runs out, quote, he is handing over a war that's pretty manageable, if not almost won, to his successor, close quote. The same day, the Los Angeles Times said nearly the same thing, that, quote, as Bush took his final lap, Iraq has become a relative bright spot in his foreign policy record, close quote. Sounds like good news, but as many Iraqis and Americans with loved ones in Iraq might ask, if the war is over, or nearly so, how come the troops aren't on their way home? Well, because in the real world, where facts live, it's known that Iraq still faces huge challenges in dealing with political and ethnic tensions currently tamped down by ethnically isolated neighborhoods, payoffs, and a heavy military presence. But why ruin George Bush's victory lap with the truth? stage at the Moth, Joe Lockhart also talked about what it was like to be press secretary the day the Congress voted to impeach the president, December 19, 1998. He had, um, he said, three things to deal with that day, the impeachment vote, of course. Also, the same day, Bob Livingston, the Speaker of the House, declared that he'd had an affair and he was going to resign. And so the White House had to beat back the notion that President Clinton should also resign because of Monica Lewinsky. That was just the early afternoon. Also that day, the Defense Department had bombed Iraq with cruise missiles uh, because Iraq was not complying with the U.N. weapons inspections. And Joe Lockhart had to convince the press and the country that the attacks on Iraq were not a kind of wag-the-dog distraction. I then had what we call in the business a communications challenge (laughs) because we had two things we had to do in the same time space, and we tried to figure out what to do. We had 150 members of Congress down to stand with the president, Democrats, and say, this impeachment was all partisan, it's all politics, and then we had to talk about the war. And I thought, you know what, sometimes the best thing to do is not worry very much about it, just go out and do it. So out on the South Lawn, we had the Democrats, very simple message, partisans, this is politics, Republicans suck. It all went well. Then we went inside, only 10 minutes apart, same podium, just a different room, a different set of flags, and said, there are no Republicans in this country, there are no Democrats, it's just Americans, and we've won the war. (laughs) And then the president left, leaving me in the room to explain to 50 waiting reporters how the two things fit together. And I think it was so audacious that we even took the breath away from the press, and they seemed to let us get away with it. And I remember at the end of this long day, walking across the hall about 20 feet to my office, going in, and one of my closest friends in the White House was there, one of the president's top aides. And he saw me come in, and I sat down, and he went over to the little bar in the office and got two beers, opened them up, sat down, put his feet up, and I'll never forget what he said to me, which was, 
you know, except for getting impeached, we had a pretty good day. Thank you. Good day, sunshine. Good day, sunshine. Good day, sunshine. I need to laugh, and when the sun is out, about I feel good in a special way I'm in love and it's a sunny day good day sunshine good day sunshine good day sunshine we take a walk the sun is shining down burns my feet as they touch the ground Over. The new host of NBC's Sunday chat show, Meet the Press, will be network correspondent David Gregory. Some press accounts mention Gregory's reputation as a tough questioner based on a few heated exchanges at White House press briefings. But does that really tell us much about David Gregory? Well, consider some other examples. Earlier this year, journalists were once again defending their performance in the run-up to the Iraq War. And Gregory was on board, lashing out at critics, saying on MSNBC, quote, I think the questions were asked. I think we pushed. I think we prodded. I think we challenged the president, close quote. Gregory complained that media critics, quote, think that if we did not debate the president, debate the policy in our role as journalists, if we did not stand up and say, this is bogus and you're a liar and why are you doing this, that we didn't do our job. And I respectfully disagree. It's not our role, close quote. Well, okay, but part of a journalist's job, we think, involves challenging politicians and not falling for spin and shtick. On that count, Gregory hasn't always performed very well. On October 6th, he seemed surprised that most Americans thought Barack Obama and Joe Biden had won their debates with John McCain and Sarah Palin. Quote, I think both of these debates have highlighted pretty strong performances by both McCain and Palin. You can argue who won on points, certainly, but in both of those debates, they were strong performances. This polling doesn't bear that out at all. Close quote. And the day before that, on Meet the Press, Gregory said of Sarah Palin, quote, she chose to ignore a lot of the substantive aspects of the debate and speak right to the American people. That that's where she's winning. She has a lot of charm, a lot of charisma, and that's working for her, close quote. Gregory's apparent willingness to put his faith in Palin's charm suggests that he can be, well, easily fooled, which might make him the perfect candidate for hosting a Sunday chat show after all.
Obama presidency, day number two, it's obviously going to take some time before we get a real clear sense of the direction that this administration is going to go in. Typically, the first 100 days is the significant figure. Uh, but Fox News, also only two days into the new administration, has a different question. 100 days. Will we make it that long? The president makes two moves that could bring suspected terrorists to the U.S. If Barack Obama gets his way, they could apparently be coming to our soil right here domestically. Right now you're in danger. Your family's in danger. A murdered American soldier, a foreign leader wanted by the U.S., Obama's pick for White House counsel. How are they all tied together? Hannity has the shocking connection. Holder is affirmatively dangerous to this country's security. We cannot trust Timothy Geithner. Barack Obama does not have his hand on the Bible. It's is he tradition. really president? I still don't know what the man is going to do. He's not going to succeed. Socialism has failed. I find it highly entertaining, Wendell, that only 24 hours in or less that we're already talking about stuff like this. That's one day! <laughs> Holy s***! Fox News really scared about what might happen, oblivious to what already has. <laughs> and how about Hannity? My God, I owe Combs an apology. I thought that guy wasn't doing anything. Apparently, he was the sandbag holding down the hot air crazy balloon. <laughs> Edith to Hannity's Archie. But I guess that's just... How Fox reacts when the core values of this nation are threatened. I didn't like the line in the speech about uh, we don't have to compromise our values to protect ourselves. Um, I think sometimes we do. If you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, they're not values. <laughs> they're hobbies. <laughs> You know, one of the genius moves of the founders was not writing the Bill of Rights on the back window of a dusty van. <laughs> the British are coming. Huh? <laughs> but there is good news. Remember how criticism and dissent of the president's policies, especially Iraq, used to be viewed? This hate stuff, this rooting for the administration to fail in Iraq and in other areas is un-American, unbecoming, and unacceptable. Like him or not, President Bush is the elected leader of this country. Well, guess what? <laughs> Change has come to America! I am hearing many Republicans say that very thing. Well, we want him to succeed. Uh, and uh, prominent Republicans. Yes, we want it. They have laid down. They have totally, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, too. So I shamelessly say, no, I want him to fail. All right. <laughs> Two things. One, is Rush Limbaugh molting? <laughs> Two, does Bill O'Reilly think Rush Limbaugh hates America? And in case you think Limbaugh's arguably treasonous talk couldn't get any grosser, enjoy. We are being told that we have to hope he succeeds, that we have to bend over, grab the ankles, bend over forward, backward, whichever, because his father was black, because this is the first black president. You know, as offensive as that soundbite is in, in so many myriad ways, there's really only one part of that soundbite that really sticks in the mind. show now so what's it gonna be cause people will tune in how many train wrecks do we need to see before we lose touch of 
of Barack Obama's electoral victories, the prospect of years of corporate media talk about race, ranging from awkward to offensive. The examples just keep coming, like the January 7th New York Times story, pondering the future role of the Congressional Black Caucus. The CBC, readers were told, is, quote, in the midst of an uneasy generational shift, as the old lions of the civil rights era begin to give way to a younger generation of black politicians who do not want to be pigeonholed by race. Close quote. Yes, it is refreshing to get a break from those old lions and their constant demand to be pigeonholed. But if that makes you cringe, USA Today will make you gag. With an editorial of the same day headlined, How to Turn Obama's Success into Gains for Black Boys. The paper's answer, it turns out, is to push the much maligned No Child Left Behind law. But first you have to get through the piece's opening, which is nauseating. Quote, you can see the message on brick wall murals in inner cities. Yes, we can. You can hear it in the music of Black Eyed Peas frontman Will I Am. Yes, we can. You can imagine hearing it past the lips of thousands of black mothers, perhaps after awakening their sons early to complete homework before they head off to school, just as President-elect Barack Obama's mother did. Yes, you can. Close quote. Yeah. I guess if you try really, really hard, you can almost imagine a black mother encouraging her son, just like Obama's white mother did. Thanks, USA Today, for keeping the dream alive. Move a step closer, you know that I want you, I can tell by your eyes that you want me to, just a question Now we get to the real stuff, though. O'Reilly's talking to Carl Rove, and he's going to talk to him about how uh, Obama's not going to do torture anymore and how this endangers the country. It's going to start out, in my opinion, funny, uh, but it's going to get serious at one point. So let's start with the first clip here. We've got a number of them. Uh, O'Reilly talking to Carl Rove. Let's watch. You know, what Barack Obama is basically saying is that you guys screwed up. 
You screwed it up. Despite the fact we haven't been attacked, the world hates it, and in, you know he's going to change everything. So what say you? Yeah. Well, look, I think this was a bad choice, uh, and the reasons being offered for it now make it even worse. Uh, Leon is a serious politician, but he has no background in intelligence work, uh, and this is a very difficult, sophisticated world of intelligence, uh, and uh, you need somebody who comes from that world and has intimate knowledge of it, and he doesn't. Okay, and but, but put that aside. Put that aside. Let's say Panetta gets the job, and he keeps four or five guys underneath him who really know what's going on, what's in play. It's, it's not just about Panetta now, Mr. Rove. It's about what you guys did. What right. you did. Right. Obama's telling the world quite clearly what you did was absolutely wrong, damaged the nation, even well, though we haven't you know been what? attacked. How do you respond? Look, look that I think this was most, look, his criticism today, I, I, it wasn't very clear what he objected to. He objected to with everything you rendition? did, coerce interrogation, rendition, Guantanamo, you know, everything. When he, gets behind, when he gets behind that desk and has the awesome responsibility of protecting our country, every, anybody who's chief executive of the United States is going to want to have the ability in a time of great crisis to call upon enhanced interrogation techniques. He says no, he's not going to do it in Panama. This is absolutely well, not Army Field Manual. Well, Don't make them uncomfortable. That's what we're doing. They're, you know, they, they could say that now, but if you've got Khalid Sheikh Mohammed as we as we scooped him up, and you, it's in the aftermath of 9/11, and you think another attack is imminent, you're going to want to get information in order to protect the country, and that's what these tech, the techniques right. allowed us to do. Uh, I love O'Reilly. He's like, they're not. They say they're not even going to torture people anymore. Can you believe it? They're not even going to do the kidnappings, the extraordinary renditions. Oh, my God. How can we protect this country unless we uh, do torture and illegal kidnappings? And Carlos says, oh, don't worry, don't worry. When they get in a tight spot, trust me, they'll be just as bad as we were. They'll do the kidnappings and the torture. No, I, I don't trust you. They're not going to do it. You guys were lazy. You were incompetent. And, by the way, you tortured people not to get good information but to get bad information. They tortured Abu Zubaydah, and he said Iraq and al-Qaeda were connected, even though that was a lie, to, in order for them to stop torturing him. And then they used it and said, see, Iraq and al-Qaeda are connected. Oh, look at that. We started the wrong word. Too bad. We already used the uh, torture. By the way, they knew this. They knew the torture was to get the bad information. They got it from a, a Chinese army manual, and the title of the manual was How to Elicit False Confessions. They had used it on our troops in Korea, to try to get them to say, and then later in Vietnam, try to say, including John McCain, funny enough, or sad en sadly enough, uh, in order for them to say, oh, America's bad and they're the great evil and we've done all these wrong things in Korea and Vietnam. So that's what the Chinese wanted that because they knew that they were going to get false confessions through torture. And then we took that manual with that title and with the specifics and we applied it to our detainees to purposely get bad information. Now they're saying, oh, Obama wants that same bad information we wanted. And then, uh, whether Leon Panetta's qualified or not, Karl Rove says, well, it's a difficult, sophisticated world of intelligence. And George Bush understood it? Come on. You're telling me Leon Panetta can't figure it out, whereas George Bush was on top of it? <laughs> I'm ending the conversation. I'm not interested in going further with that line of thought. Of course Panetta can handle it. He was the chief of staff. For Bill Clinton, he handled intelligence every single day. And this stuff is not, you know, they, they make it appear as if it's like some sort of physics that no one, the normal mind, cannot understand. 
said, all right, we went and we talked to Ahmed, and Ahmed told us this is where they're hiding in the cave. Okay, yeah, sometimes he gets a little bit more sophisticated, but Leon Panetta is a really bright guy and only about 28 times smarter than George Bush. He's going to be able to figure it out. Drives me crazy. All right, now uh, O'Reilly won't let it go. He's going to keep pursuing this. Goes uh, after this line of thought again with Karl Rove. Now we know, we know that Barack Obama has said your policies of Guantanamo, coerce interrogation, rendition, FISA wiretaps, which are the law, they're legal. All That's of not that true at all. Obama is going to do away with. So I'm well, getting I'm a little nervous him, here. I'm getting well, a little I'm, nervous. I'm very I'm very nervous, too, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. What leads me to believe that this may just be leftover campaign rhetoric is we heard him trash the terrorist surveillance program month after month after month, and then in July he shows up on the floor of the United States Senate and votes for its reauthorization. I'm hopeful that this was just an attempt to rhetorically please his left-wing flank while uh, recognizing that as President of the United States, the, the, these uh, interrogation techniques and rendition and the other things that, he was, that he's been critical of in the past are valuable tools to keep. America safe. Well, I'd be surprised if, if, if that happened. I mean, with all the evidence with Holder, Panetta, and what President-elect Obama is saying publicly, I, I would be surprised yeah. if he doesn't do it. I'd be really shocked. Man, that pisses me off so much. Uh, look at what... O That's why you never give in to these guys. Obama said, oh, the terrorist surveillance program, this warrantless wiretapping, which... Uh, O'Reilly was like, oh, yeah, it's totally legal. No, it's not. It's, you know, before I go on, let me explain how illegal it is. The so-called terrorist surveillance program where they wiretap Americans without court orders uh, was so illegal that Jack Goldsmith said that he would resign over it. Now, who's Jack Goldsmith? He was a guy who was so conservative that in Bush's Justice Department, he's the one that uh, helped do the legal justification for extraordinary renditions. That's where we illegally kidnap people off the streets of other countries, and then we take them to other countries, uh, other allies of ours, to get tortured, whether it's Saudi Arabia or at times even Syria and at times Egypt as well. So Jack Goldsmith's like, yeah, illegal kidnapping and torture, I'm in. The warrantless wiretapping, man, that is so illegal. He said, that's so illegal, I'm going to resign over it. Okay, that's how illegal the program was. And what did Obama do? He ruined his whole credibility on it by voting with them. He did. Rove was right there. So he said, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, it's bad, it's bad. And then he went out there and he voted with them and uh, to justify this so-called terrorist surveillance program. And now he has no, like, uh, no foot to stand on on there. And that's how it works. If you ever make the mistake of agreeing with them, they will pound you with it. It's a terror. How many? God said it a million times, and nobody ever listens. The Democrats think that they're going to get the Republicans on their side by agreeing with them. No, they're going to use that as a weapon against you. Clowns, including Obama with that terrible vote on that program. All right. Now, finally, here comes the really bad part. This is uh, O'Reilly's blueprint for how they're going to attack Obama, and if there's even the slightest bit of attack on America, they're going to try to take him down the exact opposite of what they did for Bush. First, let's watch. Here's O'Reilly talking to Karl Rove. My last question. If we're attacked after he does dismantle all of these things, it's done. His administration's done, is it not? Uh, look, if you've taken techniques and, uh, and that have kept America safe and discard them, you are putting the country at risk and you have to bear the consequences of that. And the consequences, in your opinion, would be? 
It depends on what kind of attack is launched on us. I mean, look, we have we have over the last six and a half, seven years, stopped attacks on the United States by using these techniques either to get information from those who we capture or to intercept information uh, that's flowing between terrorists. And if you take away these tools, you'll have to live with the consequences, and the consequences for our country could be grave indeed. So there it is. First, they start a torture program, uh, illegal spying program, and an illegal kidnapping program. Uh, that's the extraordinary additions, the warrantless wiretapping, and the enhanced interrogations. Then they say, if you ever take it away and the country is ever attacked, well, then it must have been that we were keeping you safe with the torture and the illegal spying, etc., and we're going to blame it all on you. Now, did they say the same thing about George Bush when our country was attacked on 9-11? They said, no, no, you have to give him a pass. No, no, in fact, the fact that we got attacked, the worst than we've ever been attacked in the history of the United States, means that you have to re-elect George Bush. That's what they said. And then they said, oh, well, he kept you safe afterwards. Oh, anthrax, that doesn't count. The bombing of our embassy in Kenya and Tanzania when Clinton was in charge, they count. But the bombing of our embassy in Yemen when Bush was in charge, that doesn't count. The D.C. Uh, snipers, they don't count. None of the things that, uh, it, the fact that we brought 4,000 Americans to get killed in Iraq for absolutely no purpose, that doesn't count. Condoleezza Rice uh, just said in an interview, hey, you know what, uh, yeah, we never did get al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden, but at least we vanquished uh, al-Qaeda in Iraq. Well, isn't it true that al-Qaeda in Iraq didn't exist before you went into Iraq? She's like, yeah, that's true. So you created an enemy and took it down. Meanwhile, you lost 4,000 of our boys, let alone 40,000 injured, let alone all the Iraqis killed. Okay, these men are grossly incompetent, but you think they're going to be fair? You think they're going to be reasonable? No, the minute America is attacked in any way, shape, or form, it could be an embassy somewhere in the world, it could be the slightest bit of attack, none of which they would have counted for Bush. They're going to say, oh, that's it, Obama did it because he took away torture and illegal spying and the extraordinary renditions. It's all his fault. You have to make sure you never elect him and elect people who will continue to do the torture. If, please don't tell me you're stupid enough to buy that. Please, please, please don't. But that's what they're going to come with, so get ready for it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, I know that this show uh, is going a little long, so I'm going to keep this as short as possible. But uh, just first of all, I want to say thanks to those of you who have started sending in your five-star reviews in iTunes. Um, we really did see a difference. The The show jumped a little bit in its rank, and it's totally working. So the rest of you, um, please head over to bestoftheleft.com and click on the link for iTunes reviews, and it'll take you right to where you need to be in iTunes to leave a review, and uh, and that'll help promote the show enormously. You know, my my guess is if we get, you know, totally totally random guess, if you know if we get maybe fifty more reviews in there, I'd be shocked if we weren't featured on on the homepage, uh, the um, the news and politics section homepage. A hundred more. 200 more we we're talking about you know they they may seriously seriously take notice so um so please keep that up secondly i'm i'm bringing back an old old dear friend podcast alley has been around forever 
Um, you know, I, I started listening to podcasts before iTunes supported podcasting as a feature, and Podcast Alley was there, you know, ba- back then when I started. So when I was looking for my very first podcast ever, that's where I found them. And I looked recently, and, you know, for, for a long time, the competition there was really stiff. That's where everyone was sending their listeners to vote for podcasts. And, uh, and the competition was really stiff. And, you know, the people uh, in the top 10 list, that's where you get uh, the big promotion, uh, is uh, if you can make it into the top 10 list there. The people there were receiving more votes for their show than I had listeners at the time. So I didn't feel... Um, particularly motivated to continue to uh, to press that as a as a place to go vote. You know, it would have been nice, uh, but uh, but it just it, it wasn't gonna be in the cards for me. Now, however, I found uh, I you know I just went and looked in this past month. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, the it's it's a voting system. Listeners of shows go and vote. And, uh, and then the shows are ranked that way. And the voting starts over every month. So it's a fresh month. So I, I waited until now, until right uh, at the beginning of February, to, to say that in this past month I went and checked out the voting results. And I was astonished at how few votes you need now to get into the top ten. Now I understand what that means is that the traffic on the site has gone down. People have stopped promoting it. So being in the top 10 now probably won't get you as much publicity as it used to. But I thought, hey, like, let's do an experiment. This is totally within our grasp. The number is, based on what I saw last month, 150 votes. And that's it. I mean, it's an incredibly small number. 150 people taking literally two minutes of their day to just vote, I mean, you don't have to write a comment, you don't have to, like, take any time, you just vote for the show, you do the confirmation email, yes, I'm a real person, click, done. 150 people do that, I guarantee we'll be in the top 10, and then we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll see if uh, if we get a, you know, bump in listenership, uh, you know, more publicity, more whatever. So I, I, I thought, um, at, at the very least, for the month of February, let's try this out do this together see what happens if it works out well for us and and you know more people are finding the show then we'll continue month to month and if not no big deal and we can stop worrying about it so again if you go to bestofleft.com you'll see um right on the the right hand sidebar conveniently located right next to that itunes review link uh, a link to again the exact right page you need to be on at podcast alley to just go in, put in your email address, vote for uh, the best of the left, get the confirmation email, and you're done. So that's it for today. That's all I wanted to talk about. Um, well, that's not true. There's lots more I want to talk about. For those of you who go to the website to do these, you will see posted on the website evidence of all the other things I want to be talking about, but I just don't have time for. So for those of you who go to the website, you'll get the inside scoop on uh, on what I'll be talking about next time. Oh wait, no, th- sorry. There's one one other thing I definitely have to talk about in this episode, which is that January 29th, we just missed it. Um, I screwed up and couldn't get an episode out last week. Uh, January 29th is a double anniversary for me. First of all, uh, it, and and they're great anniversaries. 
two of the best decisions I've ever made came to fruition on January 29th. First of all, three years ago, the very first episode of the Best of Left podcast came out, so now we're entering year four of the show. Very exciting for everyone, I'm sure. And then uh, just one year after that, I moved into my new place in Tacoma Park, Maryland. So I had made the decision to move to the Washington, D.C. area all the way from California and easily one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. And uh, and again, January 29th uh, popped up and, uh, and that was my big move-in date. So very exciting day for me personally and I always like to reflect on that and... Uh, and just think of it as a, as a very good day and generally good time of year. So now that's really it. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name's Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you from bestoftheleft.com. The black and white. You took a part of picture that wasn't right.